HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Singer Equipment Company provides industry-leading service to restaurants nationwide. Whether you're expanding or upgrading or just need a partner to help navigate supply chain challenges, Singer Equipment Company is here for you. Visit SingerEquipment.com to learn more. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Amanda Roach, partner at Amin Talati Wasserman, a law firm many of us know and love that supports CPG companies on all legal around the FDA, the FTC, and intellectual property. Amanda's practice focuses on IP, trademark, and brand enforcement and defense in over 140 countries around the world. Her clients include companies from a wide array of industries, including, of course, food and beverage, supplements, home goods, and entertainment. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. So good to be here. So before I get into trademarks, FDA, FTC, IP, <laughs> let's just, I, I actually, you know, FDA, food and drug. So making sure that you're like not going to hurt anybody. FTC, making sure that your advertising is legit. And IP, making sure that you are owning the doodle on your package and your other stuff. Is that a fairly comprehensive? Yes, it's not a very, very comprehensive. You've yeah. handled all the acronyms very well. Okay, very. great. Um, yes. <laughs> just so you, like, just to reiterate, like, I basically, trademarks is my thing. So FDA and FTC, I have a little knowledge of, but just right. enough to be dangerous. So, yes. Yeah. Okay, great. I just, you know, I was going to write it all out in the introduction, but then the introduction got really long. And I have this thing about like trying not to use acronyms as much as possible. And of course, Matt, our like original engineer is back on this show for this week. And I know how much he hates acronyms. So <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that I didn't make Matt angry. Um, and also, you know, why anyone would know what all these things are if they are just sort of entering this world. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's only Matt, there's only one acronym you have to worry about from me. Yeah. And that is the USPTO, which stands for United States Patent and Trademark Office. Yeah. So, not the post office. Not the post office. No. Thank God. It's not the post office. All right. We're gonna um, get to them. Yeah. So, you know, I I've been talking about this. I think I actually last week when I was finishing my interview with Eleanor all about shopper marketing, I think I actually for the first time in 152 episodes was like, and next week on In the Sauce is someone talking about trademarks and patents. Like <laughs> I'm, I've been really excited about this. And I think part of the reason why I'm really excited about it is because it's something like a colonoscopy that like, you can do as the founder to prevent harm in the future. And there's like a direct correlation between doing this now and preventing something bad from happening in the future, not to compare you to a colonoscopy, but it's, I don't mind. I think it's a fairly apt. Yeah. But yeah. the second reason why I'm very excited about this is because you like love <laughs> your job. And I we had a Zoom call and we'll talk about it. But I've literally, I don't think, hardly ever met anyone who is as pumped up about what you do on a daily basis as you are. And so I just was like... You've got to come on the podcast and talk about this stuff because A, I think it's going to be really, really helpful to a lot of people, but B, like you're just, you make me want to be a, like a trademark IP lawyer. And that <laughs> is like, a That's awesome. I know. So, um, you know, were you always <laughs> just before we get into all this stuff, because like, we don't need to go back to like, if you always wanted to be an IP, you know, attorney, but like, did you, did you start off in this or did you find it? And like, no, I did. You know? I did start off in this and it's, it's really funny because, um, I kind of fell into it because mm -hmm. I come from a long line of musicians and actors and mm. very, very creative people. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I knew, you know, it's one of those things my parents were like, you have to make money. And I'm like, well, okay. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, short from, you know, whatever. So, I, but I started looking into areas of law that were a little more creative. And right. you know, obviously, there's the entertainment industry, which is very contract based. But then I got in, like, did some research about these areas about, you know, trademarks and copyrights and how it is a way for a company to be creative. Mm -hmm. And I would essentially be that helper that helps them protect what they want to protect. Like they, I'm protecting their property, but their yeah. creative property, stuff that really means something to them. Yep. Um, and the practice just changes. I swear it changes all the time. Like there's always updates. It's ever changing. So like you never get bored. You know, yeah. it's not one of those things that you just do over and over and over again. There's right. it's not just like filing and filing and filing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of filing, but like there's yeah. so many nuances now, like, yeah. especially with the influx of like the CBD market and, mm -hmm. you know, it's just uh, social media, how that's had a huge impact on what we do, you know? So it's like, there's always things to keep you on your toes is what I really like. So, I mean, going back again to, you know, the, the intro, you know, what I love about this conversation is we're going to start off with like, what is a trademark? Why do you need one? How do you think about it as an early stage founder? If you're working at an early stage company, it's good to make sure that the brand is owned, right? Like that someone's done this work. Um, yeah. You know, all of that. And then we're going to get into sort of what makes a good one, how to choose one. And then we're going to get into, you know, the, the questions I have, which is, you know, how do I make sure that there isn't a pouch that looks just like mine with my font on the shelf of Trader Joe's like next week, right? Exactly. How do we, and if there is, how do I make sure that I'm at least a little bit protected? Um, so, you know, and I think also, you know, I've had attorneys on this. We've talked about corporate structure and we've talked about employment law and we've talked about, you know, how to set up for a fundraise and all of that. Um, but you said something on the phone, you know, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago that really struck me. Do you remember what you said? 
Um, remind me. I mean, I'm sure I just, I tend you to kind that, of ramble uh, when I talk yeah. about trademarks. So I you know you said a lot of your work wasn't actually for brands. It was for investors and potential like, you know, strategic yes. acquirers and that a lot of deals end up not happening because brands don't own their trademarks. No, that's, that's totally right. And it's like such a sad situation when yeah. I see that. Because I think the example I gave you is we were working on a sale deal for a company that had been operating in this like tiny little niche of a space for 50 years. Yeah. And they had a couple of trademarks, but they never bothered. They never got, maybe never anybody ever told them because we weren't representing them at the time. But, you know, they said they didn't have their house mark, which is like the one that's going to appear on all of your packaging. Right. So um, they didn't really have their company name trademarked and the deal ended up falling through because when they were like, well, okay, we don't have it. Can we get it? And when I tried to figure out if they could get it, the answer was 100% no. Wow. Because there were other trademarks that had gotten in there, you know, before them and then were registered and that would block this company trying to get their trademark. Even if they've been operating under that name for 50 years. Yeah. Because there is just, there's so many like nuances that go into it. Um, you know, it's there's a couple companies they've been operating alongside for a really, really long time that are a direct competitor, and so it was like, right, you know, the, just the just the the, the the spider web that was like right. in front of us that we'd have to untangle was going to be crazy. Yeah. So yeah, the deal fell through, and it it was really sad because yeah. I'm like, that just it just seems so wrong to me that like this company that had been operating for so long didn't do this one thing. Right. Well, that hence the colonoscopy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, and I'm, I meet people now who are like, it's fine. We'll get it. Right. You know, like they, it didn't happen, but it will, you know, we just have to, you know, wait or, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they're saying. And, and then there are things that are very close to them that aren't in the exact same category, but like, what if you go into that category? So let's just go back to sort of like very basic. You, Amanda, have a better for you pie crust. It's keto. It makes you glow. It makes you (laughs) amazing at everything. And you want to name it and you need to think about it from the perspective of the trademark IP world. Mm-hmm. How would you go about this process? That's awesome. Um, I love that question. Um, and I talk to clients about this a lot because they're like, we have clients call us, potential clients who are like, hey, we're getting into this space. We want to pick a good trademark. Can you help? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're like, yeah, we can help. I mean, we don't like, there's a, a whole nother arm of this, which is not really legal. The creative naming, right. Yeah. yeah. Which does like, then they pick the names and they, you know, they test them with consumers and things like that. But they're not looking. I actually, I mean, I can tell you they're not looking because we actually had a situation a few years ago where someone came to market with a name way too close to ours. And we ended up they ended up not being able to use it and they ended up having to spend a lot of money to rename and rebrand. So if your marketing agency is telling you, you should go for like pie with a, you know, Y, right. That's probably not going to pass the muster. Right. That probably won't fly because uh, just for that specific example, because when you're submitting an application, like let's say we file for pie for pie crust, which I think is class either 29 or 30, um, <laughs> which we'll talk about classes in a second. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, yeah, they, USPTO looks at misspellings. And again, USPTO means U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. That's the body that is going to essentially control your trademark registration, you know, for better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so misspellings are kind of, it's it's a very creative way, if you think about it, to try to get around other marks or get, you know, to kind of, make your way in the trademark world, but the USPTO is unfortunately savvy to that now. Right. So if it's pie for pie, P-Y for P-I-E crust, you're going to get a rejection um, because you can't, like one person can't own the rights to pie crust for essentially pie crust. You know, it's right. like you should, anybody should be able to use the word pie for, for things re- referring to the dessert. Right. Right. So, 
aside from that though, like what I would tell clients, first of all, is like, well, you know, what, what's meaningful to you? Like, think about your brand, think about what it's going to represent. I mean, if we're talking about pie crust, it's going to make you glow. Maybe we call it glow, you know, would that apply? it could, it could, because I don't think that glow and pie crust, they don't really have an association. Like if you see glow, you're not going to think pie crust, but if you were doing a skincare brand, it wouldn't pass. That's, that, that's a very, very high possibility because glow people want glowing skin, right? That's kind of descriptive. So this is the thing too, is that, I mean, a lot of brands start out and it's a natural thing to do. You want your brand to kind of say something about what you do right? Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be on the shelf or in like that refrigerator space or even online. And it's going to be next to all of these other brands. So you want to, you want to give them a sense of kind of what you do, right? Mm -hmm. But you also want to stand out. And this is really fine line there because if you get too, if you describe too much of what your product does with your trademark, I mean, pie, PY and pie crust is a good example. That's a little too, what we call descriptive. So that's kind of on the less protectable side of trademarks versus if we're talking about like a good example is Apple for computers, Mm -hmm. right? The Apple company, when you see the term Apple, I mean, now you know that it's a computer company, but you know, back in the day when it was coined, apples had nothing to do with computers Mm -hmm. in the dictionary, right? So sometimes it's worth getting further away from what you're actually doing with, with your word mark in order to create a stronger trademark. And it's that kind of trade-off that like, they're like, oh, how are we going to make customers like know that it's us? I was like, well, that's, you're going to spend money on the front end mm-hmm. or you're going to spend money on the back end. Right. Like, so on the front end, I mean, you can imagine how much the Apple computer company, Apple, what they had to go through in order to make consumers' brains connect Apple with computers, mm-hmm. Apple with iPhone. You know what I mean? All that stuff they had to do to like make that connection happen. That's what you do with advertising and marketing. Right. Uh, promotions, things like that. And yeah, it's a lot of stuff you have to do on that front end to get yourself noticed, but it's going to protect you more in the back end because who else in their entire mind would think about naming a computer company, Apple, right? So let's say some junior guy comes up 20 years later, even like two or three years later, and he's coming up with Apple for computers. You have so much ammunition to make him stop because just because consumers have learned that Apple belongs to this one company for computers. Right. 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 Yep. So question here. So, all right. Following the pie crust thing, the name then is, is the trademark. Like how, if, if, if you can protect, let's say you come up with a name that has absolutely nothing to do. It's like haagen like it's made right. up and, and Right. But then um, something like the way that it's written, you know, I've seen a lot of things where things look similar to other things or, you know, the, the spacing of the font or the colors or whatever it is, is that, is that, that's not trademark, right? Like is the trademark just the, like the housemark as you called it and maybe like a, a tagline? Yeah. So there's several different kinds of trademarks. A trademark can be, a word. It could be mm-hmm. your company name. It could be a logo or combination thereof. Trademarks can be. Um, yeah, we have the trademark for Cook Happy, which yeah, is like exactly. a, a slogan yeah. or something. Exactly. It's so your slogan mark. Yeah. There's also trademarks, and we're not going to get into this right now, but there's, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into the woods because this is like my nerd, my nerd camp right now. No, this here. is where you get really jazzed up. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you can get trademarks for smells for sounds and for motion. There's a lot of different like things you can actually trademark. The thing is you got to remember is like, it's got to point back to your business. Like when people see Mm -hmm. your trademark, you want this giant red arrow in their brains pointing back to your company. Like that's the function of a trademark. It's a source indicator. Um, So yeah, you kind of, I think, yeah, because a trade, a trade name um, for, can I use Haven's Kitchen as an example? Sure, of course. So Haven's Kitchen is your company name, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also your your trademark. And what I call mm-hmm. it, when I say housemark, it's kind of like the umbrella under which all of the trademarks are going to fall. Because okay. pretty much every every service, every good that you guys provide that you're selling are going to have the harbinger of, of Haven's Kitchen 
at the at, in the in the forefront of consumers' minds. Right. right. If it's Haven's Kitchen and then you have Cook Happy, you know, that's 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 one thing. Also, like and that little HK logo in the circle, mm-hmm. that's that trademark is the logo. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when you're setting it up, it feels like a lot of money if you, you know, everyone wants to get to the good stuff. Let's talk about sort of the costs a little bit. And I know that there are different classes and there was something about you have to be using it. Like we couldn't, there was something about Cook Happy, like until it was on a pack that was in rotation. So fill me in a little bit on like, again, you're, you're setting up your pie crust company, you call, you know, your, your lawyer, you do it yourself. Like what are your first five steps? Yes. Okay. So if somebody's coming, if you came to me and you're like, Amanda, it's a great idea. I have this like keto pie crust. We want to call it pie. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, so let's, let's just assume for example, that's a, that's a good trademark. Okay. We're just going to roll with this. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so the first thing I would be like, great, let's do a search. Okay. And the reason we search is because by the way, glow pie could work. <laughs> glow pie. There you go. Well, yeah, let's, let's call it glow pie. So glow pie. So, okay. So you come in and I'm like, okay, we should do a search first. And we're mm-hmm. going to do a search in the class that, um, your, that pie crust falls and maybe some related goods as well. So when it comes to classes, when I say classes, mm-hmm. the patent and trademark office when you're filing for a trademark, they have to know what you're going to be selling under right. that mark, right? So what they've done, and it's not them that did it, it's this worldwide body that developed this thing called the NICE classification system, mm-hmm. which categorizes goods in different chunks, mm-hmm. right? It's like class three is your cosmetics. They're weird, yeah. Class three is your cosmetics. Class five is your like dietary supplements. Class 29 are food products. Class 30 are like baking products. Class 31 are like, you know, fresh foods. So there's all these different categories. You kind of have to like check the box mm-hmm. and let them know, you know, kind of which class you're thinking about for this. Because that's going to help them search better when they're trying to kind of make sure that your mark is clear for registration. Right. So when we search, we basically do that same analysis. You know, we take your mark and we run it through the patent and trademark offices database to try to find not only marks that are similar, but also like, do they cover similar goods and services? Mm-hmm. Because that's all what you have to consider whether your mark's going to be blocked or not. So for example, if we may, if we want to make glow pie and would you only search baked goods or if I, should I then sort of say to you, I think we're also going to do frozen fillings and, you know, pie, um, toppers or well, I don't know what you would do, but you know, like, would we yeah, like give sprinkles. you, yeah, exactly. I would even, yeah, I would do like, I mean, I would do then the baked goods category, which I'm against off of my head here it's either 29 or 30 those are basically the two big baked goods food classes but then also you have candy right Mm -hmm. so like because if you're going to have like you know chocolate sprinkles that that could be a candy so you want to make sure that we search that too um you also might want to search restaurant services because think of like baker square right right maybe they've come out with some sort of a survey they've come out with a little tiny business called glow pies and they're just they're not really they don't claim that they're selling pies or pie crusts or whatever, but they are doing restaurant services in the right. field of baked goods. And would you also search skincare? Like I could see some like Gen Z company calling their skincare line Glow Pie. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but like, that's the thing. Like if I found Glow Pie under class three, which is the cosmetics and skincare mm-hmm. versus your Glow Pie for like pie crusts and baked goods, I would not, I would say this is, basically a low to moderate risk, which means that like, I don't think it's going to get called out because it's, you know, there's got to be some leeway for differences in what you're doing with an identical trademark. So, yeah, I mean, I guess part of the question is though, if you're starting from scratch and there is, I mean, it's defensible to your point, you'll likely get the trademark for your classes from what I'm gathering, but if you, would you advise or is it like, yeah, it's totally fine that there's a skincare company or is it the kind of thing where like, 
you know what? The advertising could get a little confusing and people could search for glow pie thinking they're getting pie crust, but get, you know, a face mask. And you know what? As long as you haven't committed to it yet, I would stay away from it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good situation. Like it's a good, it's a really good question. And I think that that's when we start to kind of try to see like what's, what use is out there. You know, so maybe glow pie, maybe they have a registration for class three and it's glow pie for face masks, whatever. But I would say as long as like you go, you go on the glow pie website and it's not like they're taking a pie, Mm -hmm. like a pie shaped face mask and like smashing it on the face of, you know, right of a person and being like, here's your mask. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, um, I, I think that the risk is a lot lower. I think um, we've just come up with a business. I think we have. <laughs> you don't eat the pie. You smash the pie on your face and it makes you glow. I, bet, um, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. All right. So before we take a break, you also talk, I feel like I hear the word descriptive a lot yes. and I feel like it's come up more and more and more and more. And I just, can you, what, can you just explain that a little bit and and give me maybe some examples without like naming names of like why people are not getting things that they used to get other than like misspellings. Right. So a really good, so yeah, descriptive, when I say descriptive mark, um, basically your mark describes what you're doing, right? So it's, it's a, it's a situation where if we were going to go for the mark pi, P-Y, for pie crusts or baked goods or whatever, that's probably going to get a descriptiveness hit from the PTO because you can't, one person can't own a term that's common in the industry. Right. For those goods. Right. I mean, even though it's a misspelling, but um, you just, it's, it's not done. Um, And you know, that that's the thing, there's this range of trademark, um, trademark strength, you know, and there's, there's, you have your arbitrary mark, sorry, your fanciful marks, which are marks that are completely made up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like Exxon is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like that word came from nowhere. They made it up on their own, but now it's the super famous trademark. Mm-hmm. Um, arbitrary marks, which are things like Apple for computers, Camel for cigarettes, right? So those are the arbitrary ones. Then there's the suggestive thing. And it's where it's like, you're kind of just hinting at the fact of what your, of what your mark might cover. Funny enough, a good example of that is hint for water. Because mm-hmm. it's water with just like this tiny little like taste of uh-huh. whatever flavor they're saying. So hint is a very good descriptive mark. Or sorry, right. yeah, suggestive mark. Hint is a very good right. suggestive mark. Got it. Then you get into the descriptive categories. And that's where your mark is, it just, it's too closely describing what you're actually doing. Um, and the thing is, they're not unregisterable. Like there's things you can do to make that mark registered in the United States, which is usually what's called by secondary meaning. So you apply for it. Maybe you don't get it, but you're like, look, we've been using it for five years and we've trained our customers to understand that, that, that pie for pie crust is us and only us, mm-hmm. you know? So that's a situation where you can get on the principal register that way. The caveat is, is that like, do you really want to have a descriptive mark when maybe five other of your competitors are using that same term? Mm-hmm. Maybe not as a trademark, but they're using it descriptively. Right. Right. So, you know, then you come to the, this is where I say about spending money on the front end versus the back end, because here's the back end part. Like, you know, part of owning a trademark and keeping your trademark is defending it. Right. That's, I know I sounded like I was talking about like, battle when I, <laughs> no, I, I, I you know when I was like defending and enforcing and defending <laughs> enforcement and litigation. Yeah, I um, mean no, yeah. yeah it's crazy but no it's it is one of those things that I mean and honestly the back end stuff you have to do which is you know you're gonna have to have some sort of enforcement strategy right like figure That's where out we are now who, yeah. yeah figure out who you're gonna go after and send those cease and desist letters Maybe yep. file a lawsuit or oppose marks that you know or you think are too close to yours. There's so much money that can be spent on the legal fees on that back end side. That's why, like you know, we really try to urge clients like let's go more towards you know fanciful, arbitrary, suggestive, right? Because it makes less work in the in the end and the on the other side. Yeah. So before we go to the break, getting you know, okay, Amanda's you know glow pie. 
She's set it up. She's done the search. She's got a logo. She's got a trademark on the word. She has a slogan. She has her company name. She's filed everything. How much does that cost generally? And how long does it take before she's like, okay, now I own this and I can feel relaxed? Sure. So let's talk about the timeline first. Um, And this is something really important that like it's changed very rapidly just recently. If you file a trademark today, it's not even going to get looked at by the Patent and Trademark Office until probably November. Right. Like it's just, there's a huge backlog right now. So it's taking a really long time. So where before we used to tell clients like, okay, yeah, your mark's going to be registered in six to nine months. Like now we're saying 12 to 18 months. It's almost twice. So it takes a really long time. And that's something that that's why, especially now, like clients should consider, companies should consider like doing the trademark work first right? and ensuring they have a good brand. Cause you're going to have plenty of time to get, you know, the packaging done, you know, all the, 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 um, the mm-hmm. certifications that everything you need to get done in order to get that brand rolled out while this trademark's kind of percolating. Mm-hmm. Um, so the timing is really important there as far as Costco, like, so I don't know if I can, I, I probably shouldn't say like what we charge. Cause no, you don't have to, you can give a range. <laughs> I would say like, if you budget between, I would say, try to expect if you're, if you're, if we're just talking about glow pie and we're just doing baked goods, right. For glow right. pie, that's a one class application. I would say you should plan on spending the, be prepared to spend, you know, between three and $4,000 over the course of that 12 to 18 months. Cause okay. it's not just the filing you have to do. Mm-hmm. There are several other steps between the time your mark hits that PTO register and the time your mark registers. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about that after yeah. the break. So everyone <laughs> can like have a drink of water and get yeah. ready. Okay. Sounds we'll good. be right back. If there's one thing we can all agree on in the restaurant industry, it's that the working world has gotten weird. It makes sense to be thinking about your options and how to build your career in 2022. Health insurance, benefits, a 401k match. A job at Singer gives you the chance to start fresh while still working in the hospitality world you know and love, but from a different perspective. Work alongside kitchen and tabletop designers to be a part of restaurant openings all over New York City and beyond. Join our team of food service experts committed to the future of hospitality. Singer Equipment Company, now hiring. Industry-leading service provided by industry leaders. Singer Equipment Company. Visit singerequipment.com slash careers to apply today. I'm back with Amanda Roach, partner at Amin Talati Wasserman. Okay, we are talking about the trademark process at the U.S. PTO. Um, so the idea is you've got a trademark, you've got, um, one class, so you're not filing it for many places. You're also not filing it in many countries. Is that? Yep. We're talking about just the U S right now. Starting off with the U S I'm filing glow pie for a baked good that makes you glow. (laughs) And, um, I did my search. It seems like defensible or I don't know if that's the right word. Seems like it will pass. Registrable. Registrable. Yeah. And then what? Okay. So we've this we've done the search. We think it's gonna get through. So now we file. And here's the fun part. You file and then you wait. Okay. (laughs) Like you wait like a good solid probably, you know, it's six to nine months right now for it to even get looked at by the PTO. Um, and I want to talk about this period really quick because we have we have several clients who have come to us and you're like, hey, we're launching our product next month. Like we need right. our trademark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, guys, come on. Like, I mean, it's and it's like, I get where they're coming from because they're just trying to cover all their bases. It's just mm-hmm. like, they didn't know that like it was going to take so long for their trademark to even get right. looked at. That's why we're having this podcast. Exactly. So like, I would say, you know, that one of the best things um, a company can do, I mean, if you can't search early and often and figure out your trademark if it just wasn't on your radar. Like, yes, we can, we can search because the search is really quick. It can take, you know, two days, maybe a week tops to figure out if your mark's registrable. If it feels like it is, 
we can file for it. But what I try to tell customers is like, is like if you can wait until we get that first examination report, which I'll talk about in a second, that's going to reduce your risk a lot, or it's at least going to tell us what we're in for. Okay. You know? So, um, because, you know, I think so, so many people are just, they're, they're, they're very excited and super ready to launch. And the thing is that examination report, which comes six to nine months, basically after you file, mm-hmm. that's the first time the patent and trademark office is going to weigh in on, are there any marks that could block you? Is your mark descriptive? Mm-hmm. Because the, we, as lawyers, we get these letters from the right. patent and trademark office. And it says like, you know, okay, you're and hopefully we only get the ones that say, Hey, let's, you know, tweak the goods and services a little bit. Let's describe right. it a little bit differently. Right. Or you need like to, we need a little bit more clarification on your applicant's address or things like that, mm-hmm. like little things, but it's not always like that. Sometimes we do get those office actions where it's like, sorry, there's this mark that was filed before you that registered that's blocking. you. So right. that's what's called a likelihood of confusion refusal. Same thing for descriptiveness. And those responses, like those issues, you know, they kind of lay it out about what your mark's going to be facing and whether or not we can get around it or not. Like, And likely you're not going to get around, like, is that kind of like, all right, we should come up with a new name or? Not necessarily, because the thing about it, like the thing about their analysis is it's another human being at the end of this process. There's Mm -hmm. another me who's looking at that application at the PTO. It's another attorney. Um, so therefore it's subjective. Like there's a little bit of subjectivity to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just a computer spitting out like, you know, zeros right. and ones and figuring this out. It's an actual person who's really thinking about what your mark is, what the mark covers and what else is out there that's making this decision. So sometimes they're just wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, for lack of a better term. And like most of these people, like, I feel like examiners at the PTO get a really bad rap. A lot of people think they're like the enemy. And I'm like, no, they're just, they're lawyers trying to do their job, you know, and, but sometimes they're just wrong. And Mm -hmm. and that's why you have the opportunity to argue against it. Got it. Um, But there are times when, you know, it's like, okay, this, this is going to be rough because sometimes clients don't want to search before. Right. You know, they're like, we'd rather just go ahead and file. We're like, we're, you know, we really want to move this through as fast as we can. And we, you know, we, you you do what the client wants. So So they've examined, they think there might be a problem. And then you guys then have to go, this is before the company's even launched. Yeah. Hopefully it's before the company launched. Yeah. Hopefully it's before the company launched. Uh, Or some people probably decide to launch and I'm sure the lawyers will figure it out. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we have the opportunity. We can, we can file arguments against it. um, And that's going to go back to this examiner who is in charge of your application at the PTO. They're going to review our arguments and the cases that we cite. And they're going to say either, okay, we agree with you. There's no confusion here. Um, I'm just using the confusion uh, objection as a, as an example, because there's other ones too. But um, so they say that, okay, we believe you like this looks good. We're going to let the mark through. So let's say that, yay, we get the mark through. That's a huge, huge victory. Then we hit what's called publication. Okay. Which is this like 30 day period where you, um, where your mark is essentially put on shout. So it's put into this thing called the trademark official gazette where anybody can look on. Riveting, riveting reading for Tuesday night. Yeah. I actually know people whose jobs it is. I'm sure because they read the trademark gazette and look for similar marks. And I'm like, my eyes would pop out of my head. No, but I I mean, that's why they do it. Right. It's like sitting there. And if you have a problem with it, like speak now or forever, hold your peace. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's it's, it's anybody and whoever wants, you can raise their hand and say like, I don't want this mark to register for X, Y, Z reasons. So it's only 30 days for the most part. I mean, examination kind of weeds out those problems, mm-hmm. but you never know, right? You could, it's very, it's, it's pretty common, you know, not, not really common, but it's, it's not unheard of for somebody to be able to be like, look, I just, I feel like this mark is too close to mine. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to register. So now I'm, I'm going to try to stop it. Is anyone doing that on our behalf ever? As far as, yeah, I mean, like on Haven's behalf, for example, like, I don't is, think is there anyone like looking around to see if someone's like public, you know, putting Heaven's Kitchen on something? Oh, that's a good point. No, I don't think we have, and that was just something we should talk about, but like it's, there's, <laughs> it's this thing, there's this thing called a watch service, um, which is like where we can put Haven's Kitchen on a watch um, and 
it's a third party company that does it, but basically they report like daily on like any marks that have published, so to speak, not only in the U S but in many other countries that could be too close to your mark that we might want to take a look at. And it's like, we weed through them. It's like, you know, it's like kind of like panning for gold, right? So it's like most of it falls through. It's fine. But like there's once in every now and then a nugget, we're going to have to take another look at. Mm -hmm. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, So then after this publication and assuming that no one objects and you're good to go. Right. I recall needing, like when we did have a, a little bit of a blip with another company. I remember there was a lot of sort of us showing sales records of using it and stuff like that. But so now I'm confused because if this company, this theoretical glow pie company hasn't launched yet, how would they show it, it being in use? So I'm clearly not thinking of the right thing. No, 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 you're fine. And I get what you're saying. But like in the glow pie, in your, in the example where you had the blip, right? It's probably Mm -hmm. because this company was like, we applied for it before you, like, Mm -hmm. so we're quote unquote first in time, which is a big deal in trademark law. You always want to be first in time if you're trying to enforce your rights. But in this case, I mean, I have a feeling that the reason we were showing all these sales records because you you guys were actually first in use. Yeah. So so, so just to clear it up, I think I mean this is I'm not mentioning any names, so I think it's totally fine. But like we had the trademark for one class because we were a cooking school, and then when we went into the CPG product, we filed. But apparently, a month or two before that, someone used a similar name to file in a similar category. And so the question was, were we, I mean, we ended up, you know, getting our name, which was great. Um, But it, there was a, arguably we had, we were in the wrong class, which is, which is important. I think for anyone who's in the hospitality world, like, I mean, if you are Rayo's, for example, and you're a restaurant for 80 years, and then you decide to launch a pasta sauce, but you don't own the trademark of Rayo's in the class of pasta sauce. Unless you apply for it. Unless you apply for it. Technically, someone else could have it. They they totally could. But this is one thing I should probably mention um, at this point. This is a really good point to mention, time to mention this, is that the one thing that separates us trademark law from basically every other country in the world is that we're a a country that's but use is important right you know so let's say for example that you know we're selling these sauces since yeah selling the sauces since 2006 right Mm -hmm. but maybe they just hadn't gotten around to filing the trademark and there's somebody out there who registered ro for italian sauces or Mm -hmm. something like that Rayos could have a pretty good, you know, claim to send them right. a letter and be like, guys, we've been out here selling, mm-hmm. you know, internet, like, uh, like all over the country for since 2006, like right. you guys got to stop. And there is some, there are some rights there. The thing is like the, the, uh, the trademark registration use is great and use gets you some rights, but like trademark registration is like your, your ultimate shield right, against those situations, which is why like, you know, some clients are like, oh, we'll just use it. It's fine. We don't need to register it. I'm like, well, okay. But when you get into a pickle, Mm -hmm. you're really going to want to have that trademark registration because that gives you so much more leverage and clout to make the other person stop. If you're And once you have registered it, then you own it, whether you use it or not, or do you then have to start using it in order to keep it? So you have to use it in order to get it. That's the one of the, the big, the biggest things in U.S. trademark law. That's why I say use is king in, in the U.S. Right. So if you do glow pie mm-hmm. and you get through publication and you're like, yeah, we're going to launch in probably, you know, a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. The next thing that happens is because you can file a trademark, even if you're not, you haven't started using it yet. Even if you don't think you're going to use it for another two years. Right. You can still file that trademark. Um, but eventually the PTO is going to come knocking at your door and say, okay, now you have to show us how you're using it mm-hmm. before you get registration. So that is, that's what we call the statement of use phase. 
And it's basically, we have to give the USPTO eventually dates saying, this is the first time my mark was used anywhere, which could be like, you know, you went to your local grocery store and said, Hey, would you mind trying to sell, like, can Mm -hmm. I try to sell my five things of glow pie here in this kiosk for on Saturday and you make a couple sales and maybe that continues continue yeah you know, that, that's a you know, right. have a nice little like stream that way but the big date you have to think about is use in commerce and commerce is basically sales controlled by congress which means right. for our purposes it's the most the easiest way to think about it is across state lines right so um so yeah that's that's you have to be able to show that you're selling across state lines and you don't have to prove it you just have to tell the pto like Okay, great. So yeah, Glow Pie started selling, um, you know, on March 28th, 2022. Um, that's our first use date in commerce. Um, here's a specimen. So then we'd have to show like an example of how the mark appears to consumers in commerce. Right. And that usually is, I mean, nowadays, the easiest thing to do is a, you know, a, a screenshot of your website mm-hmm. with the product, the name and an add to cart button. Right. Got Easiest it. way to do it. But other, you know, there's plenty, plenty of other ways to do it too. But you have to do that and it has to be accepted before you get registration. Right. But a lot of companies are already in, I mean, they're, they are in business because they're selling across state lines by the time they get registration. So oh, yeah. there is a bit of a dance. There is a bit of a dance. And right. the thing is, the good thing is about a statement of use, like if we're doing you know, Allie, if you and I are doing the glow pie thing and we're like, you know what, we get the statement of use and we're like, crap, we're not selling it. That's fine. You have six months to show from the time you get that. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's called the notice of allowance. You have six months from that notice of allowance time to show use before your deadline is up. But if we're not ready by that six months to show use and you cannot fake it, that's like a big, big, big thing. You can't mm-hmm. pretend to sell or have like a token sale. Like you can't right. do that. Um, but like, you know, we can file for extensions, extensions and we right. can file extensions for up to three years. Got it. That's the beauty of the system. Yep. It, it makes it more expensive, but, right. <laughs> but it's, it's an option at least. So you can kind of keep your trademark while you're still trying to kind of get your product out to the market. Right. So the reason why you and I engaged a couple of weeks ago on that famous Zoom call was two things. One is we're going into new categories and I think we need to file Yay. for other classes. And then the other thing is that we did a, a, a refresh of the brand and the logo is different, even though it's sort of the same. And Haven's Kitchen, the word is the same, but it's written in a particular font and there's a stack and the whole thing. So as brands grow, I think, is this the defensible and the enforceable <laughs> and the protectable? Like how, you know, every time we kind of make a shift, whether it's like, we want to cover more things or we have a new logo or a new slogan or a new font or whatever, we need to add to our trademarks. Yeah. Yes. I mean, do you yeah. just, you just toss out the old logo and put and in the new, one, the new and, one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's a great question because one thing we get asked more, more often than not is like, you know, a client, we filed for their mark, they got it registered. And then like, you know, a year later, they're like, Hey, can we add, can we add pudding to glow pie? Like we're mm-hmm. making puddings now. Yeah. We and should. we're like, yeah. no, like we have to file a new application because right. once that application is filed, you cannot basically add to it or subtract. I mean, you can subtract from it. You can definitely subtract, but you cannot add. Right. And you can't be like, I'm going to cover every class because at some point you need to show use. If you want to do like okay. violins, you know, if right. low pie make violins, you're going to have to make a freaking right. low pie violin and sell it across state lines. Yeah. So, I mean, v- basically anyone out there who's doing a refresh, call your, call your IP lawyer and yeah. like, get those, get those tidied up in there. Yeah. Get those tidied up. Also get tidied up. If you guys, you know, incorporate differently, cause that's a big thing. Like if you're going from an ink to an LLC or vice versa, yep. if your business name, if your business address changes, Have like we get, talked, we've talked about all that, right? Yeah. That's, that's underway. <laughs> okay. trust me. But like, okay. you know, it's, but it's, it's smart because like it can, it can seriously put kind of a, you know, a, a bee in the bonnet, you know, when it comes to like, 
smoothing everything out. So it's really important to right. keep all that updated. A lot of us do change from LLCs to C-Corps when we get sort of like that different level yep. of investor money. And a lot of us change our addresses. So all yeah, of exactly. those things are really good. Okay. So now the now on to sort of like my, another thing that kind of triggered the phone call was a friend of mine has, you know, a product. And before she knew it, there was like something that looked remarkably similar at Trader Joe's. And, you know, I've, there's something called trade dress from my understanding. There's like, I, they didn't steal her logo. They didn't steal her, you know, name, but it was remarkably similar looking to her packaging and like references in the language were similar. Like there was a clear derivative happening. And the question is, could she have prevented that or, and now that it's happened, does she have any recourse? Okay. Yes. Um, yes and yes and yes and yes. Um, so, and it obviously depends on the situation, but like speaking, you know, more in kind of like, you know, let's get massive protection for your brand Mm -hmm. as quick as possible. Um, so you can protect what's called the overall look and feel of your packaging. Okay. I love that. And that's a big thing. And that actually falls, it kind of straddles these two categories, um, in IP law, which one is trademarks, one is copyrights. So is there a difference? Yeah. How do you talk about trademark versus copyright? So if you think, I mean, the easiest thing to think about is like trademark is a source indicator. It's that giant red arrow pointing back to your company. So consumers can know that like this trademark belongs to you and you only Mm -hmm. where copyright comes in. Copyright is more the creative, like, what is it? Left right brain part Mm -hmm. of the IP, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, copyright was basically created to protect things like, I mean, think about novels, uh, Mm -hmm. music, things like that. But there's also like, you know, a label, especially nowadays when people are getting so creative with their Mm -hmm. labels, um, you can actually protect a label via copyright too, as long as it's creative (laughs) enough. And that's the thing. Because there's this, you know, a lot of people right now are doing the minimalist thing which is, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want to be super clean. I mean, think about RX bar, mm-hmm. right? So very f- super clean label, like facts, 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 the mark, that's it. Like there's nothing else on there. Um, that would probably not be protectable for copyright. And I think they actually tried and didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, because so, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if that's your, your brand image, you know, more power to you, that's your brand image. Right. But um, there's going to be stuff that's going to look like it. Exactly. But and then, so, but then also, you can also take do a trademark of an entire label if you want, you know, so you get trademark protection. So when people see, you know, that label, like, for example, like your sauces, mm-hmm. you know, if they see like the front of your sauces, like, you know, the point is, is you want to try to take the, the, the consumer's mind and point that label face when they see it directly back to your company. To us, right. Well, it does become a part of who you are. I mean, and I even remember like, talking like, you know, to someone at the beginning of all this and, you know, saying, you know, right now, if you see our sauce on a shelf from 10 feet away and you can't even read what's on there, people are starting to recognize that that sauce is us, Mm -hmm. right? There's like a, a, like an identifiability to it. And I'm like, can we protect that? And I remember the answer being like, unless there's something you know, like Palm Wonderful made their own bottle, right? Yep, and they, it's a and very they, distinctive bottle, yeah. Right, and that distinctive bottle was protectable. Was that a copyright or a trademark? So that would be a trademark. That's what's called, um, you can do a trademark on um, the shape of something. Like you can actually get trademark for the shape, but it has right. to be really distinguishable. I mean, the classic example is the Coca-Cola bottle. Right, you know, right. From like all the 50s movies and everything. That's like, that's what they do. Does OGX have one? Do you know? Like, is that you know that the OGX shampoo that looks kind of like an egg? I wonder I would, if they do. Well, I don't know because that I don't know if that's going to be distinguishable enough. Plus, you have to have something. It has to be like there has to also be when you're getting when you're getting into this realm. Which again, when you're getting into like the shape thing, that mm-hmm. also kind of straddles patent law too. And like patent law is a whole different animal. Yeah, but it has to be non-functional. So if right. for some reason, like 
they would think that egg shape is functional, then it, you probably couldn't get what's called a design patent, which is kind of like trademarking right. patent law had a baby. And like, right. that's what it. it out. Yeah. So, um, but I think, no, it's like for th- situations where you're really concerned about your trade dress and we've done this for clients before is, you know, it's kind of like, like loading arrows in your quiver, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to try to get protection wherever you can. So yeah, if you have super creative labels on your, your, your packaging, your cans, whatever you're selling, like let's go for trademark protection for the label, for the word mark, for the logo, but let's also try to see if we can sneak some copyright in there too, because mm-hmm. you can imagine like when you're going after someone, it shows so much more like awareness of the company for IP rights. And we can be like, look, you're infringing on our trademark. You're infringing on our trade dress. You're infringing on our copyright. Mm-hmm. Because you know, there is, I mean, there's so many big companies right now and you see them like, they're just almost like, they're just almost copying like the, you know, ombre or the light blue and the light pink. And, you know, I mean, a lot of it isn't probably protectable. Um, and it would also that, probably cost right. a lot of money, but still you can see that they're just, they're looking around and they're, they're, they're looking that. around, they're looking for good ideas because you know what it's like, you always want to look and see what, what's selling. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the question, but it really does all the situations come down to like the nitty gritty. Like we got to compare facts to facts and things like that. And that's unfortunately where there's no like blanket, you know, I can't give you a blanket answer right. about, you know, what's right and what's wrong because you know, if, if they're getting, if they're using something that's not protectable, like there's really nothing to stop them. So going back to like us defending ourselves against, you know, the big companies and the, and the private labels of the world. Like, so we try to protect everything we can. We call, you know, we call a you and we try to trademark what we can. We try to copyright any part of it that we can. Do we have to keep doing that? Is that, is it once it's done, it's done. Is there, when we have new flavors, do we have to add that in? Like, the maintenance of that. And then second question. So yes. And then second question, most important. Now let's say next week I walk into Trader Joe's and I see a pouch and it's, it says zesty chimichurri in my font on a clear pouch with chimichurri in it. That looks exactly like my product. What, what recourse do I have? If I'm, if I've done everything with you and it's all, you know, Mm -hmm. through the thing. Well, the recourse is, and again, I don't do litigation hundred percent. Like I definitely can recognize should, issues. I, I, maybe <laughs> you'd be so good at it. You have so much passion. You'd be oh like, and, and I object. I know, but yeah. we have, we have such a great litigation department who are yeah. just awesome anyway. So like I a hundred percent with my whole heart, like support them. And, um, but like, yeah, I mean, basically if you're finding somebody out there and you're like, this isn't right, I don't like this. We'll look at the facts, and yeah, if it is looks like a, it's like a copy that they've like obviously seen your packaging because you guys have been selling your your sauce packaging, mm-hmm. Tasty chimichurri, right? So, um, well, and Irby, right. Irby chimichurri, <laughs> but so it's, but it's like, but if it looks exact, if it looks right. the same, even though that one word is different, mm-hmm. if like it looks the same, yeah, there's probably something we can do about it. I mean, we'd have to obviously look at all the issues, and I'm giving you the lawyer answer right now because right. whatever, right? Um, but as far as does this stuff last forever? Like, that's a really good question. So trademarks are, you can actually keep them forever if you really wanted to. You have to keep using it for what you applied for, like in the form that you applied for. For example, like there's a word mark and which is like what we call standard character mark, which if you file in standard characters, you can use the mark in any font, color, with or without a logo, stylization, whatever you want. And you're still going to be supporting that underlying trademark registration Mm -hmm. for that standard character mark. Um, It gives you the most leeway of protection. Right. Versus if you file, let's say that, you know, you Haven's Kitchen, remember we did the old logo for you, right? So we did Haven's Kitchen with the the older logo. Mm -hmm. So, but then you guys stopped using it. And so we're like, okay, now we need to file for the new logo because designs and stylization is something that you can claim in a, in an application. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if you really feel strongly about it, like do it. Right. Like you have the PTO is super, super picky about any changes you would make to that mark when you're trying to keep it active for years years to come. Right. 
And that's why I always tell like, you know, startups, especially like, oh, we want to do our logo. I was like, okay, that's great. We can do it. But do you think you're going to keep using this for five years? Right. You know? So, yeah. Okay. Um, So kind of my last question, I guess, like you do a lot of work for these investors and strategics and you see deals fall through all the time. Like, what do you think is sort of the number one thing that we should be thinking about as we're setting up our companies and, you know, picking names and making logos and designing packaging and all that. And then, you know, how often do you think we need to put a calendar reminder on to like touch base with our IP people and just make sure that like we are doing what we can do? Oh, wait, I have one more question. Okay. What is consumer confusion? And can we talk about that? Because that came up a lot, I remember. Yes. Okay. So when I was talking before about likelihood of confusion, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the objection you can get if you're, if the PTO thinks that your mark is too close to somebody else's mark that's already out there. Right. Um, that is what is consumer confusion. It's the job of trademark law and the patent and trademark office to protect consumers against confusion. Right. And it's not just like, you know, does your, like, let's say that we're glow pie and somebody else out there is glow GLO pie. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a chance that they could think that, and this happens a lot actually in Mm -hmm. in the CPG industry where they think that like, not that the products are like sold by the same company. No. Yeah. It's it's like, but sometimes they do. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes it's easy as like, they'll like, they'll like tweet, like, are you got like, they'll tweet one of our clients and be like, Oh, are you sponsoring this? Like, are you guys part mm-hmm. of this deal? Like, so they think there's a connection between the two companies. Right. Right. So that results in lost sales from one company or the other mm-hmm. or a confusion. Like, you know, you get another example. So, you know, that maybe the, there's an inferior product out there that's too close and right. companies will call and be like, they'll call our client and be like, what are you guys doing? This product sucks. Like I, right. you know, I got sick or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. and that's like, bad for business. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's why that's consumer confusion. And that's what a lot, that's what we do in order to protect against that. And also what the PTO does to try to protect against that. Got it. Okay. So now back to my last question, what's the number one thing you think we need to just think about before we get into all of this and how often do we have to think about this? Because we have a gazillion other things that we're trying to think about and we might forget. Yeah. So if you're looking to be bought, like if that's something you want to put your company in, and I tell this to clients anyway, like the first thing I ask them in a call, I'm like, do you guys want to sell in five to 10 years? Like, is that your goal? And if that is the case, then I'm like, you got to lock up all, all your IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, make sure you get as much protection for your trademarks as you possibly can. Make sure they get registered. There's no hindrances. There's no like, you know ideally no agreements with another party to like use Mm -hmm. or not use something on something else. Like, um, but lock up your trademarks. Like, you know, we, we're only one, when we do these M and a reviews and things like that, we're only one little part of the whole picture. Right. Right. But it usually is one of the first things that we get asked, Mm -hmm. you know, when we review things, it's like, you know, are the, are the trademarks fine? And that means like not only doing things like your housemark, your, you know, your main products, but like it's having an IP attorney go through your website to try to identify what marks you might be missing. Right. Because maybe you're using something that's a fabulous trademark. You just haven't really thought about trademarking it. As a trademark, right. Yeah, exactly. You've just been using it. Yep, mm-hmm. totally makes sense. And okay. also like a lot of companies, as you know, they outsource a lot of things nowadays, mm-hmm. right? So you got to think about internationally. Mm-hmm. You know, where are you, where are you guys going to be selling in one, five, 10 years? Where do you guys manufacture now? Like, do you like you do you like import any of your goods from another country? Like, those are also places you should think about getting a trademark Mm -hmm. because you know it's it's not unheard of in our perspective. It's happened actually a lot where you know there's a manufacturer in the Philippines who you know they're they're not really selling product there, but like maybe some engine parts or something are being made there. You know, that's where they're, they're manufacturing their engine parts. Right. And, a, a, you know, a very goodwilled manufacturer recognizes the fact that there should be a trademark here to prevent counterfeiting. Mm-hmm. So that manufacturer will go off and register the trademark. But then there's like this, maybe he doesn't tell corporate. 
mm-hmm. you know? So then later on that can cause an issue and it has caused an issue in the past. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like you dealt with something pretty yeah. close to that scenario. <laughs> many, 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 many times. So um, that's why centralization is really important. You know, make right. sure that like you as the, as the parent company, you know, even if you have branches and distributor agreements and things out elsewhere, make sure you centralize all of your IP. Right. And you're and aware of where your company's fingers are. Like even if they're just touching Colombia, if they're touching the EU for anything, really think about getting a trademark there. Got it. And then would you say, I mean, it would be great if we could remember, oh, I'm doing a refresh. Oh, I just added some very clever copy to my website. I should definitely remember to call Amanda. But we're probably unlikely to do that. So like well, we, we have, have like an annual checkup, like <laughs> yes. once going a year. back to the, yeah. Once okay. a year, um, you, you coordinate with your IP people and be like, you know, every year, like February 1st, every year, we're going to audit your trademark attorneys are going to audit your portfolio. And we're going to be like, here's what you have, where you have it. What do you guys want to do? Or is there anything new we need to be thinking about? any kind of address changes, corporate change, like things like that. We can just clean everything up with a giant broom. Right. Right. And that. just get it mm. all cleaned up and have that colonoscopy and be all done. Yahoo. Um, okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why, but it just felt, it felt apt for some reason. Um, okay. So find an IP attorney is, is the, uh, is the lesson Obviously, anyone who wants to talk to Amanda, I'm not going to, you know, not give you her number. Um, but, you know, I can't, you know, so. I um, talk to anybody for sure. <laughs> thank you. And Matt, great having you back, um, even if it's just for this one episode while Armin is, you know, off. And thank you, as always, for engineering. Um, Thanks, and. Sarah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Amanda. Uh, Really, really helpful, really useful. I just put in my calendar, February 1st, call Amanda. (laughs) Um, And maybe you will too. Um, And listeners, as always, thank you for listening. I hope you continue to find this helpful. And I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work, and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, Your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Thank you for your support.